we're obviously, you can see from some of the things we've already done and started this year, <clears throat> that we're trying to focus uh, a lot more on prayer. We really want to, we want first, God's told us to, but uh, second, we know that's how God does things <clears throat> with us. Excuse me a second. <clears throat> so, um, contact them, contact the church office. If you ever have any questions about anything that we do here, just, just email or call the church office. We'll make sure it gets to the right people's. Uh, but that's, uh, that makes it easier for everybody. So to let you know, the <clears throat> Hispanic church that is going to be uh, joining with us, we, we're still trying to figure out exactly, and by us I mean them, they're still trying to figure out exactly the relationship that they want to have with us. They're, they're kind of coming under our, our uh, covering, but, but we still want them and they still want to be part of the Central Latin District, which is... Um, Assemblies of God, but it's uh, but it's a Hispanic district. There's there's uh, like five of them across the United States, and so we're trying to figure out exactly what this is going to look like, how it's going to work. But they are having their first service here, February the ninth, Sunday the ninth. They're going to have um, services at uh, two o'clock on Sundays, is the way it looks right now. This is a little bit tentative, but but I think actually I think we're kind of locked into most of this. I'm going to have services at two o'clock on Sunday afternoons. And they're going to have a Friday night service at 7 o'clock on Friday nights. Yes, you can go. I've had a lot of people ask me, like, that's awful. Are we allowed to go to that? Like, somehow that's going to hurt my feelings. I don't care. I want, I'm going to go. Specifically, I told them, when you have food, <laughs> please keep me in the loop. Because I will feel led to go to church uh, again that day. So... But here's what we're going to do, because we want to be able to have an opportunity to connect um, and uh, combine uh, who we are all together kind of thing. They, they will be having their Sunday services in, in Spanish, okay? That's, that's the reason. In fact, some of the things that we're trying to help them with, with like youth services and children's th- services and stuff like that, uh, they're doing those in English because all the kids speak English. In fact, uh, most of the kids don't speak Spanish, and uh, which, which I've told them, and I've told other people too, by the way. Let me just tell you, this is a little bit of a note from Scott, okay? Uh, if, you ha- if you're from another culture, you should keep that culture alive with your kids. If you're from another language, you should keep that language alive with your kids. That's just, that's just me throwing that out there. Um, we've, t- we've taught our children to speak Texan. It's a very important thing to us uh, as a Texas family. But... Um, so what we're going to do on the, on the 9th and the 16th, we're going to have lunch together after second service. Okay? As they're getting here and as we're leaving, we're all going to have lunch together. We're going to serve like the main dish kind of thing, and I don't know for sure. I mean, our, kind of our default is let's have hamburgers, but I, I want to do something a little different. But I, but I have uh, also mentioned we are, everybody's going to bring side dishes. So the, the Hispanic church knows their responsibility is to bring Hispanic side dishes. None of them better be bringing some green bean casserole. That is not, not the way Jesus is trying to design this for us people. So, uh, so that's what's going to happen on the 9th and the 16th is after second service. If you go to first service and you want to come back, obviously we want you to be here, get to, to meet people, everybody gets to connect, uh, those kind of things, so we kind of see who, who everybody is and what's going on. And, uh, and then as the, the few months unfold, we'll show you some of the ways that we're going to be interacting together and then some of the ways that, that we're not because of language issues. Because they, we, we are encouraging them, have your services 
in Spanish. We don't want you to change that because you're becoming part of something we're doing too. Um, and so that, that's, that's a big deal. So if, if uh, however you want to do or interact with them, we want to strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, the, the more the merrier and, and, and all the above. And so I, I am <clears throat> today, uh, my wife has already left for Texas. <clears throat> she um, forgot to set her alarm, so she didn't make the first flight she was supposed to this morning, but she's, uh, she's almost there now. But uh, we're, we're, I'm headed to Texas later this evening, and uh, we are bringing my parents back up here. Please be praying for us. This is uh, challenging on a lot of different levels. We are um, literally checking my mom out of the hospital, putting her in the car, and put her on the plane. And so we've got a lot of doctors involved, this side, that side. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of stuff. We've been working for quite a few weeks now to get this. So anytime, please, I, I, this, I'm not just saying this. Anytime this week you think of me, of my wife, please pray for us. We have a lot of interesting um, hurdles and challenges to try to accomplish. Linda and my mother are flying back. My dad and I are driving back. Um, a day or so later, and so, <clears throat> so please pray uh, for us anytime you think about it, because whenever you're thinking, I may need it right then, that moment, so, uh, so be praying for us. So, so this is a continuation of <clears throat> this series that I'm doing on missions. Uh, the, the title of the series is How Beautiful, and, and I, I, I really had a bunch of, it's just one of those things where the, the, the more I developed the series, the more I would want it to make it like a 10-week series. Um, but I, obviously, this is the third week. This is the last week. But to, to really think about, so the first week of this, we looked at how beautiful people are to God. And then, therefore, people should be beautiful to, to us. Um, it doesn't matter um, the people group or, the, or the, how, whether they're nice to you people or... They, God loves people, God really likes people, and uh, we're supposed to do the same. And so that's, that's a, a major reason why we are supposed to be part of missions. That's why, that's why Church of Briargate, we believe so much in missions. And, and this is why I will push to you, and I will constantly push. And by the way, I think you already are seeing this unashamedly, because this is not one of those things where I feel like I, I need to ask people or beg people or whatever, because of some, somehow Church of Briargate benefits, which I, I think we do, but... This is for you. You need to be involved in missions. This is something God has called every one of us to. He has called us to speak missions. He has called us to pray for missions, missionaries, people around the planet. And he has called us to, to finance, to give, to make this stuff uh, happen. So, so part of the speaking, and all, it's going. Sometimes you need to go. Sometimes you need to go short time frames. Sometimes you need to go long time frames. Sometimes you need to to change your entire life and go forever. That, that really is, we've, we've got to be thinking that way. We've got to be processing that way. If, if you would say right now, um, there are some, and I don't want to push this too much because I, I, I think this can, this can go into the, the, the arena of condemnation. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But if your mind, if your heart and your mind right now, there are certain things that are just absolutely off limits. God, I will not do that. You need to be very careful because that, that, that is a, a foundation. That's a, a starting point, potentially. I'm not, again, I don't want to overstate this, 
But that's a starting point potentially for disobedience. That's, that's actually a starting point that says that at some level you, you are in danger of, um, that's a, that, that can be a rebellious thing. I'm not saying it is if that's what's going through your head, but you at least need to address that. Is, 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 the, is the reason that I say something is off limits and God, I won't do that for you, um, is, that, is that because I'm making the choices or am I truly open to what God wants to do in my life? I mean, that really has to be it. People ask me all the time. In fact, I just got asked this question this week. Um, uh, this guy said to me, uh, you've been at Church of Briargate uh, almost eight years, and that is a very, very long time. I thought, no, it's not. It's not very long at all. But, but in today's church world, it is. Okay, pastors, average pastor stays at a church two and a half years. And, uh, and I thought, you know, that's, that is. It is a long time. But it's, and so we got talking. I said, you know, my desire is that I'm here the rest of my life. And, uh, and, and I want it also to be a long life. Those two go together. So I don't want it to be the rest of my life. And by the way, that's tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. But, but I want it to be, and he, he, he kind of, I could see he was processing that a little bit. So I asked him, uh, what are you thinking? And he says, why do you say it that way, that I, you hope to be? Can't you just decide that? I said, I, could, I guess I could, but I always, my heart is always open to God. What do you want? Whatever you want. So, so missions. God wants you to be involved. God wants you doing something. He's called every single person on the planet, I'll get to that again in a second, to serve him and to tell others about him. Every human on the planet. So you have to decide what you're going to do with that. And the first decision is, am I going to be obedient? The second decision is, then how does that play out? Okay, Because that, you never know what God's going to do and how he's going to do it. You just never know. And so, so that's kind of the starting point. And looking at how beautiful this is, last week we looked at how beautiful the gospel is. Just the, the story of the gospel, just the amazingness of this thing that God creates that we simplify into a word called the gospel, but how big it is and how majestic and how amazing. And truly is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful plan. God, God really is amazing at how he weaves all this in. And so, so I, I was trying to figure out how to, to go to this one this week, and it's actually fairly simple. It's the simplest of the, the three but, but really, to, to before I jump into it, just kind of broaden our horizon just for a second. How beautiful is all the stuff that God does? Have you ever just processed that? I, I, know, I, know, you do, I know you have. I know you do. And at different times, different things happen. But so, so I was talking to my mom this week because we're, we're trying to get everything set up. And with so many people I have talked to for the last month, so many doctors, so many different people. And so my parents are moving into a place right over here on, on Powers, um, that is an uh, uh, active retirement center. It's called um, Bonaventure. And uh, so we're talking to them and all this, and, I'm, and we're, we're signing papers. We're getting all this arranged, trying to figure out how to move them here, trying to do all this kind of stuff. And uh, when we were there yesterday, or maybe Friday, I don't know, in the last few days, uh, we're there and we're talking to them, doing all this stuff. And the lady sitting there, she said, is this challenging on your parents to do this? I said, well, none of them planned to do this until a week and a half ago. Uh, my, mom, my mom has been, not, my dad not so much. And so she said, she said you know what, I, I've, got a, I've got a little something I can do here. And she said, we just, we'll just do it, and then I'll just get permission later. I was like, okay, I don't know where you're going with this. But um, she said, how about we just furnish their entire apartment for them? Can we do that? I was like, well, yes, you could do that. I'm leaving all of their furniture in Texas. We're not bringing anything. We're bringing clothes. That is literally it. And we were going to have to go do all this. And so... 
so we're working all this out, and what is it going to look like? And we were looking at furniture for on just stuff. And so I called my mom later. I said, Mom, by the way, they're going to furnish the whole thing. She just starts crying. Why is God so good to me? Why is God? And the way she asked the question kind of got me for a little bit because I thought to myself, why wouldn't be God, God be good to you? Don't, don't you think God's pretty caring and loving and big? And I mean, think, think about what I'm saying. But it just, I know it caught her off guard. She's emotional right now and all that. And, and she's a woman. So, the, but, but just all of it got that moment built and all this stuff. But I, I thought to myself, you know what? God really, guys, I don't know how much we really believe this sometimes. God really does love you. And here's another thing. He really does like you. And he wants to do stuff for you. He wants to take care of you. Now, when we say do stuff for you, he also has a plan. He knows what's good for you and bad for you, all that kind of stuff. He, he, he doesn't want to always give you whipped cream. You don't live long that way. I mean, it's a good life, but it's short. But that, So he knows what's best for you. But, but the idea that God creates beautiful things, and, he, and, and you're one of those beautiful things, and then he creates all this other stuff. And he unfolds his plan, this amazing, majestic plan, and we're at the center of it. We're at the very center of this whole thing. And then he calls us to do things. And this is the part where, where now I know this comes from just a few decades of being a pastor, but this, this kind of irritates me sometimes um, about church people. That's you. So here's the thing, is we feel like, we feel like, or we verbalize or we say things, like this is the most difficult thing in the world to serve God. So hard to serve God. Is it really? I mean, there are hard things in life that come along with life and, there, and sometimes being a Christian. I get that. But I don't believe it is hard to serve God. He has done so much for us. What is hard is letting go of you. Letting go of self, letting go of your plans and, and your ideas and your life and your will and your authority. But when you get to that place and you just say, I'm just going to, God, whatever. And, and, and I, I'm saying this, like I've completed this and I've graduated into greatness, but that's not, I'm, I struggle with this just like everybody else does. But I don't struggle with the idea that somehow this is a, it's a labor to serve God, that somehow it's a challenge and that life is just so much worse and we don't get to do all the fun stuff. I, I don't get that thinking. Serving God is the best thing going. He loves you. He's got a plan for you. He's doing stuff. He's the only one that really loves you beyond anything. He's the only one that's really going to take care of you. All this stuff. And then he says things like, well, I want you to tithe. And we're like, oh, 10 whole percent. How do I do that? How can I live? Most people spend more eating out in a month than you, than you do tithing in a month. And I'm, this is not about tithing, so I'm going to back up a little bit. But, but it's amazing how God says, and when you do that, I'm going to take care of you even more. I'm going to bless you even more. I'm going to take care of you. And we, and we get, uh, uh, and then something like, let's get the gospel to people around the world. I don't have any extra money. You You do. You do. I'm watching a little series on, on the BBC right now about Charles Dickens, all the, all the characters of Charles Dickens' stories. And so Ebenezer Scrooge is one of them. 
That's all I have for that. So, <clears throat> <clears throat> so here is, here's what we know. This is some of the things that I've talked about over the last couple of weeks. <clears throat> we know that the only hope for humanity is the gospel, gospel of Jesus Christ, the only, not one of the options, the only option. And if that's not locked in solidly in your heart and your spirit, get God's word out, get before him in prayer, and ask him to show you. The gospel truly is the only hope. The other religions are just that. They're just religions, and there's, there's death. There's only life in Christ. So we know that. And here's another thing is that the gospel is not self-propelled or self-propagated. And that's extremely important if we understand this. The gospel doesn't preach itself. And anytime I go down this road, there's always, you know, those couple of stories of people like to tell where, well, this, this people group, they just, a, a Bible came floating down the river. And I've heard that stuff. I'm not, I'm not negating it. I believe it's legit, all that kind of stuff. But those are, those are rarities, and that is not how the word of God that floated down the river said that the word of God's going to get to you. So the, the, Bible, the, the Bible says that the way the word of God gets to people, or the way that this plan of salvation gets to other people, is through people. God's not going to do it. He has said that. Jesus says it's important that I go away so that I can release you to do this. As long as Jesus was standing there, they were going to be standing right around his ankles. And he said, I'm going to release you to do this. Now go, now go, now go. And it's well into the book of Acts before they finally go. And it takes some killing before that happens. Before they could get scared enough to run. And, and by the way, they weren't, I mean, you can process yourself this way, but they didn't take off and go primarily because of their deep devotion to Christ. It was because of fear. Then it turned into devotion. But, but God literally had to scare them out of Jerusalem. And, and I've prayed this before. God, don't, don't, don't let me get to a point where you have to scare me into doing what you are asking me to do. I, just, I want to do it because he's asked. And I want to do that. And so the gospel goes because people take it. And here's another thing is that the taking the gospel to people, and this is very important, Listen to this, because it's going to affect every single one of us in here at different times in your Christianity. Every one of us. Taking the gospel to people diminishes the farther we get from salvation. And what do I mean by that? Sometimes it means the longer you've been saved. Right? Sometimes, not always. Um, but the, the farther you get from your, your, your uh, processing of your own salvation, that's really the, the, the foundation of what I'm saying. The farther you get away from the, the uh, humility of what being saved is, the brokenness of what being saved is, the gratefulness of what being saved is, the farther you get away from that, that taking the gospel diminishes, becomes less important. Years ago, I was, <clears throat> I, I, may, I think it was probably the first year I was in ministry, maybe, is right around that time frame, maybe the second year. I was talking to my grandmother. She was a minister all my life. She was a missionary, all those kind of things. And she said something that just wasn't characteristic of her. I think she was having a bad day. But um, <clears throat> she was talking about, you know, being in the ministry and different things. And I just got in the ministry, and I was excited. And talking to my grandma, she was the only other one in ministry in, in our family. And so talking with her, and I was saying something about, well, you know, we've got to make sure that we witness to people and they get saved. And she said, 
I'm, I appreciate your youthful zeal, but eventually you mature. There's a lot more things to ministry. And I respectfully disagree with Grandma. She's dead. She has been a long time. That's not what killed her. So, but I respectfully disagree. Grandma, you're wrong. You're wrong about that. The moment we lose whatever zeal, youthful, whatever, the moment we lose our zeal about taking the gospel to people, we don't really have a purpose. We've lost the reason that we exist as Christians. And guys, this is where the church struggles so much. I've heard so many things over the years, so many ways that people... I wrote down just a few ways that, 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 that people try to explain the diminishing of the gospel. They try to explain it spiritually. Here's some of the things that I've heard over the years. Well, we mature out of telling people about Jesus. We mature. Okay? We move on to deeper things in Scripture. I've heard that one recently. We move on to deeper things. Every now and then, about once every couple years, somebody will say to me, well, pastor, you, you need to preach more stuff, deeper things, richer stuff, whatever, broader. No. That's my answer. Move on to deeper things. I, 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 I went to a church one time. I was, I was, I'd resigned from my church and I was just attending a church as I was moving. And uh, they were spending 10 weeks in their weekend services on the tabernacle. 10 weeks explaining the dimensions of the tabernacle. I thought, shoot me in the head. That's, really? That's, that's, that's what's going to change our life, somebody else's life? That's what's going to motivate us? That's what's going to get us to, to, to see somebody get saved? The, the, the dimensions, I'm not the tabernacle, temple. The dimensions of the temple? You can read that. You can read that in 20 minutes and probably get everything you need out of it. But they spent weeks and weeks talking about the temple. Guys, the church, the church gets so muddied down in waste of time most of the time. We get so, so inundated with, with the, the irrelevant. Instead of, what does Jesus come to do with us? What does He want to do with you right now today? What is He trying to do with you? What is He, what is he stirring in your heart? What do you first need to repent of? And secondly, what do you need to turn your heart and your mind to? How do you need to do this? What, do you, what are you going to do today? When do, we, when do we move forward in that kind of stuff? Here's another way that I've heard it. We try to, to um, this, is, this is not an explanation, this is what happens, is the, 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 we want to separate ourselves from the lost. Relationally, socially, things like that, because it's messy. It gets, it gets messy. Okay, we, we, I talked about this a few years ago when we were busing the homeless in from downtown. Um, they messed up a lot of stuff around here. Every time we turned around, something was messed up. 
I'm not going to go into detail, but things were messed up because of them. And if we're not careful, we want to pull ourselves and separate ourselves from people that, are, that don't look and act and think exactly like we do. But they're broken, they're desperate, they need Jesus. We're broken and desperate too, but we know how to clean it up and say it in the right way and keep it hidden and lock it in. And sometimes, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, I, we had a guy that showed up a few weeks ago and um, he needed some help and he needed to get to the Veterans Hospital in Denver. I couldn't take him that afternoon. And so I called an Uber. <laughs> and All right. So um, I know the whole story, which is why I'm laughing. So um, called the Uber guy and said, look, this is what we need. This guy's a homeless guy, but he's a veteran. He's a little different, a little off. Can, are, you gonna, are you okay with these? He's like, man, I got this. I'm a veteran. I got it. I said, but this guy's a little, a little different. About three or four hours later, I got a phone call from the Uber guy. And he said, that dude should never have been put on an Uber ride. I was like, I told you. <laughs> I gave him a really good tip, a very good tip. Okay. We try to separate. We try to relationally, socially separate from people because it's more comfortable. We know we do this. Every one of us in this room do this in different ways. We do this. We choose which neighborhood we're going to live in because of some of these decisions sometimes. We choose um, what school our kids are going to go to for these decisions sometimes. We, we choose where we're going to shop because of these decisions sometimes. Right? It, 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 it's second nature to us. And I don't necessarily think it's totally wrong. Totally. There's some legitimate reasons sometimes. But guys, we can't do that with the gospel. And church can't do that. Church just can't do that if they're truly the church. Can't do that, but that's what happens. Um, and here's another one. I saw this one a lot more when I grew up. I, I, didn't, I don't see it much nowadays. I don't want to pick on this too much now. But I saw it a lot when I was growing up. We get too holy to really interact with the unholy. That's, that's a dangerous place to get. That's, that's a horribly dangerous place to get. Because first, there is no such thing as you being holy enough. You're not. You, you're, not you're not holy enough to reach to the leper, because that's what Jesus did, and he was, he was fairly holy. And, and he reached right into whatever, it didn't matter. It didn't matter who, there's, who their life, what their, what it, what, just reached right into the middle of their existence. And that's what we're supposed to do. Romans chapter 10. This is, this is one of my favorite parts of Scripture, and you hear me reference this all the time, I want, I want to read it to us this morning. Re Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I, I think that's a great sentence also. I've asked people that before. That's, this is kind of toward, if you're going to use this scripture as part of it, if, if the Romans road is a thing for you. And um, you, I used to use the Romans road more in my head all the time when, when witnessing. I, I, don't, I don't use anything now. I just, I do the best I can to try to take where they are and bring them to Jesus. I think if you have a kind of a plan or a pattern, it might hurt you more than help you. But if you don't have, if you don't do it very often and you need a plan, get a plan. I'm not against that. But I think just bring them to Jesus. Do whatever you can to bring them to Jesus. Just whatever they say, take them a little closer to Jesus. Whatever that is. They say, boy, the sky is nice. I say, yeah, Jesus made that. You know, I don't know. That's, <laughs> they're like, what? But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, I've, I've asked people this after I've prayed with them to give their heart to Jesus, do you, do you feel saved now? Do you feel different? Some people immediately, 
yeah, you, you know, immediately they feel washed. Immediately they feel clean. Some people don't feel that immediately. And I'll ask them, do you feel saved? Do you feel or is it just in your head? We, we want both. And I'll say, this, the sentence says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're truly calling on the name of the Lord, you're saved and, and you've got to accept it by faith. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe it in your heart, in your mind, your spirit. Do you feel that? I don't know. Well, let's pray again. Let's pray again. Keep praying with them until they feel it. If nothing else, they'll be like, yes, after the 10th time, yes, I feel it, please. I feel it so much. Please go away. <clears throat> but everyone, Scripture says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone, okay, everyone, that's you, that's, that's anybody in any culture, in any setting, in any religious background, if you call on Jesus, he'll save you. He will. Verse 14, how can they call on him to save them unless... They believe in him. How can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And, and by the way, to put just a little bit of a caveat in kind of American thinking here, when it says, how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? Uh, I would say heard the, the truth about him, I would say in America. Because a lot of people in America have heard the name of Jesus and know that he's kind of like the head of the religion of Christianity. But they don't really know the truth about him. They don't really know who he is. They don't really know what he said. There's a, a lot of people think that Jesus was some kind of mean guy or, or you know, this judgmental or all, all these different things. So I would say, for, and our thinking, responsibility thinking is, how can, how can they um, believe in him unless they've heard the truth about him? And that's part of your responsibility. You know the truth about Jesus. You say, well, I, I don't know how much I know. I don't know. You know, I never listened in Sunday school. If Jesus has saved you, you know the truth about him. You know the truth. You have enough information to share with somebody. All you have to know is that he saved you. That's enough truth. He'll help you with the rest. And if you get stuck, call me. I joke about that, but I've had people do that. More times than I can count. Get a phone call. Uh, Pastor, this is so-and-so. I've been sitting right here with uh, this person at work, and... Um, and they asked me this question, and uh, we're ready to get saved, but they need to answer this question. I've had that many times. So I'll say, give them the phone. And I'll answer quickly, and I'll say, now when I'm done here, I want you to pray with them. I, we can answer a lot more questions later. But the Lord's already stirring your heart. Pray with them. Accept Jesus right now before break's over. you got 14 and a half minutes. Pray with them. All right? I'll help answer questions. That's why, that's why I encourage people to come to the journey. I'll give you a whole notebook that has hundreds of scriptures about things. Take that. I will give you one. Copy anytime you want. Put it in your desk drawer. Take it, put it in your work truck. Do something. That way when somebody says, hey, what do you think about this? And then you sound like, man, you studied it up. Right? It's a resource, that kind of thing. How can they believe unless they have never heard the truth about him? How can they hear... This is the key, unless someone tells them. Paul is saying, how are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? How is your neighbor going to hear unless somebody tells them? And one of the things that we're, we're horrible about as Christians is we always assume somebody else is going to tell them. We always assume that. There's this thing when you're... So back in the day, a long time ago, I was a medic in the Navy. Corman is what they're called. And um, 
one of the things that, that one of the very basic things that you learn when you're doing um, battlefield medic stuff, like a triage mentality, where you're assessing the situation and you're trying to figure out what the next step is, the first few steps, is you, you if you're by yourself, you do certain things, but if you have people around you, there's certain protocol that you, that you go by. And one of the very basic things is you tell somebody, you get them to look you in the face, and you tell them to do something. Because, for example, you come up on a wreck out here on the, on the corner somewhere. A bunch of people are milling around. If you reach down to start helping somebody and you shout out, somebody call 911, no one will call 911. Do you know that? They, everybody thinks everybody else is. Now, they're all videoing. But nobody's calling 911. That's why you have to look somebody in the face. And usually the best thing you do is get their name. What's your name? Joe. Joe, call 911 right now. Joe, are you calling 911? Because human nature is horrible about assuming everybody else is going to do it. Guys, this is so true about the gospel. We've got to assume we're the only ones doing it. Only people on the planet telling somebody about Jesus. That's, that's the only way it's going to get across. That's the only way it's going to happen. How are they going to hear unless someone tells them? And how, can, how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Well, part of what we're focusing on, the main thing we're focusing on this morning is that we're the senders. We're the goers too, okay? We are. But, but you're not going to tell somebody in India about Jesus today. You're not going to tell somebody in Russia about Jesus today. But you can send somebody that can. You can send somebody that will be the teller. They're going to tell cross-culturally. They're going to tell in other countries. They're going to mobilize other people in other countries to tell. They're going to do this stuff. But, but we got we to be the senders. That's why we believe so much in missions. That's why we believe in giving financially to missions, not just praying. Not just praying. This is, this is another thing that I, I believe in a church that prays. I believe in the body of Christ that prays. But the body of Christ has got to do also. You can't just pray. You gotta, you gotta sin. How will they know unless they're sent? This is why the scriptures say. Now I want you to think about this. He, any sentence, any sentence could have come after this. But this is the sentence that he says. This is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet, which is weird to me because I don't like feet. Feet are not beautiful. There's no beautiful feet. They don't exist. And some people are like, you know, the girls get the, the pedicures. Is that what it's called? A foot is a, is that a pedicure? Okay. They get the pedicures so they paint their toes so people have to look at your feet. And when you paint your toes, it draws attention to your feet and they're ugly. And so then I look down at somebody's feet, and they're ugly. But Jesus says, now think about this. He could have said, how beautiful are the hands that open the Scripture? How beautiful is the voice that speaks it? Could have said a bunch of stuff here. And it's not, it's not just, well, I guess that's what he landed on. It's, that's not who the Holy Spirit is. Holy Spirit's big enough to get it exactly right the way it needs to be. Exactly to the Word the way it needs to be. So what does he say? How beautiful are the feet... The, 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 the going part of the body, the mobile part of the body, the part that propels you to somewhere. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those 
He could have said, because he just talked about hearing. The God, who, who's going to hear all this? But he says, how beautiful are the feet, because it's the going that's the key. It's the going that's the key. You can have the greatest ministry voice available, but until you get to the lost, it's irrelevant. you got to go. You've, you've got to get to them. And you can't just wait. And this is what the, the church is so guilty of in today's society. We just wait until they come to us. This is, this is, this is, part, of the, the, this is part of the disease that the church has right now. Is if we have enough cool, fun stuff, they'll come to us. And then when they finally do get to us, then we don't tell them. We're supposed to go. We're supposed to get there. We're supposed to go. In fact, this is one of the things that I, I've, I've done for years. When I uh, do my uh, soul winning thing that I built years ago, teaching message thing, is the, the way you get saved is usually the way you think others get saved. And that's the way you'll live your life out. Now, what, what do I mean by that? I, and, and I know because I struggled with this. I got saved in an altar at a church because the pastor gave a mass call to everybody in the church to get saved. It's not a bad way to do it. I got saved, so it worked. Okay? The problem is, is if that's how you get saved, that's how you think the next person's going to get saved. Come to your church, wait for the pastor to give this mass call, and then you come down to an altar or wherever, and you get saved. The problem is, <clears throat> not one person in the New Testament got saved that way. Not one. Think about what I'm saying. Our model today is nothing like the New Testament. They got saved in the marketplace. They got saved in people's homes. They got saved in Jewish temples. That's definitely not a, a model today. Right? But if you think, well, they come to a church and then a pastor says something and then they get saved, then that's the extent of our witnessing. We'll ask people to come to church. But Paul stood in public places. Peter, the first 3,000 that got saved, they weren't in a church building. They, they were in the public. They were in the marketplace. Our, our pastors in India, they sent me some videos this week. <clears throat> and uh, I'll show them to you over the next couple of weeks, some of the clips of this. But they have a little sound system, a little speaker like this. And they go and set it on the street corner and plug their microphone in and just start talking to people and preaching. I love that. I absolutely love that. Pretty soon there's 40 people standing around. They're talking to them about Jesus, talking to them about our clinic, praying for people, doing whatever, just, just out there on the street corner, just doing whatever. I know if you did that now, people run you off, the, you know, the police would come pick you up. All kinds of, now, you can ask for money, that's fine, but don't, you know, not. But I, I know it's a different culture. I know that's not what we're expected to do. Go, you, if you went and took a speaker and put it out in your neighborhood and start talking, people would think you're nuts. I get that. But that's the mindset we should have. Let's get out and let's do this stuff. He says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. He says, but not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. That's where faith comes from. Hearing God's words. 
That's where faith comes from. That's where it builds up within us. Hearing God's words about himself, about us, all that kind of stuff. You're having a down, discouraging day. Don't just talk positive to yourself. Get God's word out. Read God's word to yourself. That's the best depression breaker there is. God's word. Not somebody else's word. Not even a good friend that wants to say nice things to you. That has its place too. But that's not God's word. Faith. Faith rises up when God's word is spoken. Okay. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10. Now this is... Um, this is the armor of God, and I've heard a lot of different ways that people do this over the years, and, and, I, and I like, I think every single one of them I've heard. I've heard people talk, describe how um, as they're getting dressed in the morning, they put on God's armor, right? As they're, as they're putting on their pants, they, they uh, say that's the armor, and they pray that part of the armor. As they're putting on their shirt, that's that part of the armor. Put their belt on, that's that part of the armor, that kind of thing, Right? Those are great things. Maybe just read through it. The army of God is a great thing to keep in our mind because it tells us, it, it shows us our reason and our purpose in every piece. Every piece gives us ex- our existence. Our, our spiritual walk with the Lord is described through the armor of God. Okay? Verse 10, he says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. I, I, I love that too. Whenever, the, the few sentences right before this says, Whenever, when you've done everything else, just stand. I love that sentence. Just stand. Sometimes that's all you got. Just stand. You got nothing else. Just stand. When life is crumbling around you and you've been pushing and running and going, sometimes just stand. And he says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm. Not some, but all of God's armor. Why do you put on God's armor? So you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil, which tells us something. The devil has strategies, and he's going to use them against you. So you need to be able to combat this. And most of the way that we combat what Satan does is we just don't turn around and run. We just stand. Put on the armor and just stand there. Let him him throw whatever dart he wants at you. You've got God's armor on, you're going to make it. See, see, the armor, except for the sword, the armor is all just protection. It's not whooping Satan's rear, it's protection. You do get a sword, but it's armor. So, so, So just stand, okay? Stand firm against all of his junk. Verse 12, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I, I, I've been thinking, anytime I'm thinking of spiritual warfare for the last year, la- last year in, at our men's rally, um, we had a general here, and he spoke. He, was, he used to be in charge of special forces. Some of you guys were here, you remember? Um, he, and he told this story about this, when he was in a helicopter. I'm pretty sure he told it at the rally. If not, he may have told it to me separately, but I think he told it at the rally. Did he? The, the helicopter? Okay. So he was somebody, he was in this helicopter, and he flies over this area, and as he's flying over, it's kind of like this main stronghold on top of a mountain of, the, of, of, uh, of uh, Al-Qaeda and stuff like this. And he says as he's flying over, he could feel the spiritual oppression. And he began to pray. You got a general sitting in a helicopter praying. That, that's a general, by the way, I would follow. The praying, and he said he could feel the spiritual oppression. 
And uh, then they lit up the mountainside. But he, but he did say they prayed. They, he prayed. But I, I've, I've thought about that, that spiritual warfare kind of thing. Guys, there's places of darkness all over this planet. There are places of darkness right here in Colorado Springs. Don't ever buy into the mentality that somehow Colorado Springs is a more righteous city than other places. It's not. Colorado Springs is lost, and it's dark, and it's spiritual warfare. We have a responsibility. He says, mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Do you see resist and standing firm? It doesn't say you're going to be uh, kicking rear and taking names. That's the way I think. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying put on the armor, get in there, stay where you're supposed to be, stand in there and do this. I, I had somebody years ago, she was a school teacher. This was two churches, the first church I was a lead pastor of. She had come to me one time and I had a... Um, I had an um, administrative assistant slash uh, treasurer lady in the church. And, um, and when I got there 24 years ago, this treasurer lady was 72, 73, something like that. Linda just saw her a few weeks ago. She's doing good. When I got there, she actually came and told me, she said, Pastor, I, I, I know you're just now getting here, and I don't want to abandon you in the time of this, but I, I've got to stop going to youth camps. She said it, she's 72. And I said, well, I guess, I guess God may forgive you. I don't know. But either way, so, so, this, so this other lady was a school teacher, and she came and talked to me one time. And she said, I want you to know why I'm going to this church. That's always an interesting conversation to me. So I said, okay, let's talk about it. She said, the main reason I'm going to this church is because of Leota. That was my treasure assistant. And, um, and I said, what do you mean? She said, I came to her. The church had been through stuff before I got there, been through some turmoil and a split and some other things. And I kind of came in and cleaned it up. And, uh, and she said, I stopped going to church during all that time frame. And Leota came to my house. They were very good friends. She said, she came to my house, and she said, you need to get your rear back in church. You need to do it this week. And she said, Leota, how can you do this? How can you just keep going to church and keep going to church? When people are mean and they do bad things, and this happens, she named all this stuff. She said, because I'm not going to church for all those people. I'm going to church because I serve God, and I belong to him. I'm committed here, and this is my church no matter what. I'm committed here. She said, so I started, because she had been going there the entire time. I know the teacher. She said, that's why I came back. And I thought about that scripture when she said that to me. That all the, armor, all the armor is just about standing in the face of the stuff. Not fighting, not winning some kind of battle, but standing firm in the face of all it. And then it says, when it, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. So here's the thing. If you're just going to be standing there and you're not really doing the fighting, I mean, you do have a sword, but we don't see the fighting mentality, then how is the battle won? Who fights the battle? Jesus fights the battle. You don't fight the battle. 
I said the same thing about the Battle of Armageddon. That, you know, it talks about Jesus comes riding the white horse and the army's behind him. And I've said this and I've had other people, I can't wait till we're riding those horses with Jesus and all that. But you understand, if for some reason you actually do get on a horse and ride at that time frame, which I'm not convinced we will, but if, if that happens, you understand you're just window dressing. You're not fighting the Battle of Armageddon. Jesus is fighting the battle of Armageddon. You're just riding along. <laughs> Look at us go. You're not fighting. Jesus is fighting. Guys, it's the same thing now. Put on your armor. Put on your armor, and Jesus will fight the battle. Now, here's obviously you know where I'm going with this. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, body armor of God's righteousness. Verse 15 is the focus. For shoes... This is to protect you against Satan's attacks. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. The, the, the shoes of the gospel. Why do you think he says the shoes are the gospel? The same reason he says, blessed are the feet of the people. Because why? It's the, the, the gospel is, is a mobile thing. It has to be mobile. If it's not mobile, it's not the gospel. It's something else. And it's got to be mobile. And the way that Jesus fights the battle is we put on the shoes of the gospel and get and go. I, I've said this for years, and I, I, I don't think I, think, I think sometimes we, I don't know how much we believe this, but this is it. The, 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 the best way to mature as a Christian is to tell people about Jesus. The best way to understand his word better, the best way to understand him better, the best way to walk in his spirit, to feel his spirit, to walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is to tell people about Jesus. This mentality that somehow we just keep going to church week after week, and that just gets us stronger and bigger and all this stuff, it does, but in a very small, tiny, minuscule uh, pace compared to telling people about Jesus. When you tell them about Jesus, you will grow faster, quicker. Your wisdom will grow. Everything, everything is at a faster pace. And, it, and if you just think about it, it makes sense because the Lord needs you to be stronger than the person who's just sitting on a pew week after week. He needs you to be stronger, wiser, bolder, quicker, all the things. He needs you. And if you'll get out there and tell people about Jesus, he'll make sure that you're the strong person. You're the muscled up one. You're the wise one. Because he has to. He needs you. But just the lethargy of sitting church week after week, what's the point? You, you got some of these stories when you were six that haven't changed. Let's push forward. Let's put on the shoes of the gospel and let's go. Luke chapter 15, verse 7. This is the story of the 99 where Jesus goes out um, and rescues the one of the 99. This is the sentence. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and hasn't strayed away. Go down to verse 10. This is the next little uh, parable, and it's a story of the lost coin. And he says in verse 10, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. Here's a little challenge for you. Find any other reference in the New Testament 
that Jesus gets excited and there is a party in heaven about anything else. Find anything else in Scripture that, that a party kicks it up in heaven. Anywhere, anywhere, when somebody comes to church, no. When somebody gives in the offering, no. Those are all good things. They're important things. They're necessary things. But, but the DJ doesn't start spinning it in heaven until somebody gets saved. You see what I'm saying? Guys, don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be a part of that? That that's, you get to be, you get to be what kicks off the party in heaven? Isn't that, isn't that cool? Okay. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be, that's, that's tongues, by the way. That's New Living Translation way of saying tongues. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. You understand, Jesus said, I've been given all authority, so I'm sending you. I'm giving you this authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Our tagline for Church at Briargate is pursue God and reach people. Our desire for every single person, Church at Briargate. They're talking about this in children's church this morning. That This is children, youth, adults, every one of us. Is We want every person to pray, we want every person to give, and we want every person to go. That's the desire. So let me give you some numbers, then we're going to pray for us. Um, part of the reason I'm doing this is this thing the board and I have been talking about for a long time <clears throat> is, is the discrepancy. So, so let me back up. I got here um, uh, almost eight years ago. When I got here, the, the missions budget was big, and there had been a lot of people that had been given to missions, but uh, a lot of those people left sometime before I got here. Okay? So by the time I got here, less than... than um, Half of all of our missions budget was being covered by people in the church. Now, we're still covering that missions budget, but that means it's coming out of the general tithe fund, the, the fund that we pay electricity and things like that for, okay? Salaries. So uh, that's, that's where that stuff was going. Now, we, we started, the missions started increasing, and every year it's increased uh, since I've been here. And we give to missions, give to missions, but here's two problems that we have. One is, I really like to add new missionaries. That has been a problem. Because they're not always being covered. If somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, I want to start giving $5 a month to this missionary. I'm like, good, add them. And when I say add them, the office knows that means $100 a month. So now I just put us $95 in the hole. Right? But I really like missionaries. I really like missionaries. and I believe this is our mandate. And so I've continued to raise this. The giving has continued to raise. But here's where the discrepancy is. We can no longer do that because we are running a deficit in missions giving every month right now 
at about $1,300 a month. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out, you just can't do that. That's bad stewardship. I'm going to own this. I like missionaries. But I'm going to push some of it off on you and make you feel guilty too. Not all of you are giving to missions. So I'm going to stop adding all kinds of missionaries every time I blink, and you're going to start giving more. Is that a plan? That's a plan. Everybody nod your head under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Okay, so we, last year we gave around $66,000 to missions formally. That doesn't include all kinds of other things like trips and stuff like that. We gave $66,000 to missions and missionaries. Guys, that's, a, that's awesome. For a church our size, that is awesome. I am proud of that. Uh, about 50,000 of that was supported by all of us. Okay? So that adds up to about $1,300 a month difference. All right? So we need, to just, we need to just change that. I'm just telling you the numbers. We're not taking a formal goal or normally like we do where we fill out the cards or anything. Just putting it on your heart. And part of the reason I'm saying it that way is I would really like you to consider, if you're going to give to missions, just give to missions. We've got a bunch of missionaries that we're already supporting that nobody is supporting. The church is supporting. So just give to missions, and we can actually support those people. It has actually got to the point where we are having to look at and process and see, do we stop giving to certain missionaries? Now, you know me. I would rather lose a toe before we do that. Okay, um, but we have been having that conversation. What that looks like now? We had, we have had two missionaries retire uh, in the last two or three months. So that's already changing that. I don't think we're going to have to, to uh, back off on giving to missionaries. But it's it's to the point where we we've got to cover that. Okay, um, there's a lot of things that we need to be doing with the general tithe money, which we have to send it all to missions right now. Okay, not all, but you understand what I'm saying. All right, so here, that's just the financial. That's just the raw roots financial. But here's the big picture. God wants you to give to missions. If it's a dollar a month, God wants you to give to missions. The amount is not important. It's obedience in your spirit. He'll tell you the amount. Obedience in your spirit. Just be obedient. All right, let's pray. God, we, we submit ourselves to you. God, first I thank you for so many missionaries that we support. God, of families that are all over the world because of the, the obedience of our church. God, our, our, our church in India, our two pastors in India, God, all of that is because of giving of people in this, in this building. So God, we thank you for this. And Lord, I don't, I don't want anybody to walk away from here feeling condemned. Lord, we are doing an amazing job. But God, I believe you're calling us to, to more. I know you are. So Lord, I want to be obedient, and I want everyone in this room to be obedient. So speak to us, Lord. Show us what you want to do, us to do. Every single person in this room. Show them right now what you want them to do. Lord, it may be stay where they're at. Give, give what they're giving. Lord, you may, you may be pulling some people to give more. And God, I, I, I believe that for those that are not giving at all, I believe you're tugging their heart right now. So, so do that, Holy Spirit. Pull on their heart. Let them know they can. They can do this. 
of being obedient. Tell him what to do. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for giving us the responsibility, trusting us with your gospel. God, help us to help us to, to show your scripture be true in our own life, that our feet are beautiful to you when we take the gospel. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So think about it. <clears throat> pray about it. February's coming up. Start in February. Whatever it is, start in February. God, God, will, God will take care of you. He will. You'll be amazed at, at how all of a sudden he'll just start blessing you for this. And I, and I do believe that. He will take care of you. He will provide for you to provide. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Two things. Tell somebody about Jesus and pray for Pastor Scott uh, before noon tomorrow. That's very important. Shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Tell them how glad that you are that they are here. And uh, Josh will be speaking Wednesday night if I'm not back. See you then.